Well, good morning, friends. Let's make our way to our seats. Good morning, Miss Connie. <clears throat> Man, so much life in spite of the snow. It, it might just be that living in Colorado has trained us all. Just don't let the weather affect you. We do. Guys, I have so much in my head and in my heart and in my mind. Um, normally when I get up, I have a very clear trajectory. And this morning, there's just there's so many things that have already happened in the service that have been moving to me. And I, I want to start by saying, when Pastor Jade was just a moment ago saying, now think about something that you are grateful for and thankful for. One of the things I, I have been thinking on regularly because of some life circumstances is my heritage. How many of you were born into a Christian home or at least grew up hearing the message of Jesus and going to church regularly? Yeah, well over half of us in the room. And for me, this is perhaps the largest part of my childhood, the largest part of what I remember in my formative years. Just a few weeks ago, I flew home for my, my mom's stepfather's funeral. And my, my uh, stepfather, her dad, died when I was nine months old. I never knew him. So this was one of my grandfathers. And we're sitting at the funeral, and this picture pops up. He was a minister, and it was the 50-year ordination ceremony with the Assemblies of God picture from 2012, which meant that this June, actually, uh, general council is sometime in the summer, would have been 60 years as an ordained minister. And on both sides of my family, there are ministers, and I have a thoroughly Pentecostal background, amen, Seth. So much of, so much of our, our histories and our heritage are similar. And Pastor Jade said, think about something you're thankful for, and immediately it came to mind. Well, when I was there for the funeral a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the service, it was beautiful. Uh, there was some sharing and some singing and some crying and some pictures, as there are at most funerals. And then we go to the graveside, and afterwards, I, I asked my dad to take me where my grandmother was buried, his mom. Uh, she passed in 2009, and I was overseas, and I didn't have a chance to go to the funeral. And she was actually, of all my grandparents, the one I was closest to, and I have never seen the gravesite. So my dad walked me down just about 100 yards which felt like a lot longer in Florida heat and humidity in a, in a suit, I will say. And so he, he just walked me down, and I, I was thinking, this is the church that my dad grew up at. It was the first Assembly of God church in the South. It was founded as a, as a holiness church sometime in the late 1800s. And my dad is walking through, and I said, Dad, you probably know about 50% of the people buried in this cemetery. And he says... I bet you're right. And he starts pointing out this person, this cousin. He told me in the late 70s, he used to mow the entire cemetery for $20. <laughs> That's pretty outstanding right there. To mow, and, and then what was beautiful about it is this was the time before weed eaters. So I was like, Dad, how did you get around the headstones? And he said, anybody know? Scissors, yes, or, or shears or clippers, yeah. Pretty amazing. And I'm not just telling you an arbitrary story. This morning we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit in the church. And it, it hit me this morning that I am thankful for the church. Amen. That I'm grateful for the church. And I don't know about you, if you've just been following Jesus 
six months, hopefully there is already a taste, a sense that this is valuable, that these people are valuable. You know, God is so tethered to groups of people, specific groups of people, that he lets his people tell his story about him. Think about this. Without the church, without the people of Israel, you and I would not have a scripture. We would not have a Bible. God is so tethered to people that he lets his people tell his own story. And when people gather in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, that is the church. This is the church. You, we are the church. And because this is also important, and Rachel will be upset with me if I do not mention this, I am going to give a kid's pitch, just as Pastor Jade has done. But we were talking throughout the week, and they had something planned, and I already had something burning on my heart. So I'm going to give this, but this is actually part of my message. So we've been talking for the last two weeks about children's ministry, and full disclosure, we need people to work in the children's ministry. And what hit me was working in any, serving in any ministry of the church that is not one of your primary giftings is actually, oops, is actually an act of love and mutual submission. And when we are tethered to a people, when we are tethered to a, a community, a group of people that we are longing to be planted with as long as we are not moving or the Lord doesn't call us to move churches, Part of growing together is learning to live in mutual submission and love, which means doing things that you may not want to do or feel like are your primary gifting for the sake of serving someone else. Think about the parents in the room who maybe even the single parents or the grandparents who are watching kids as part of their full-time occupation throughout the week who, if it weren't for a children's ministry, would not be able to gather with us. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, I don't really even like kids. And I would say, well, okay, let me, let me put my pastoral hat on. Let me validate that. Let me, let me affirm that. And then let me say, man, look at, look at this opportunity for growth in your own life. That the Spirit just seems to be promptly highlighting at such a time as this. But in all seriousness... Uh, this is the extent of my pitch this morning, but I want to talk to you about the church and say that sometimes being a part of a church in a local community calls us to do things that are outside of our primary gift mix, right? And gifts do matter. I'm not wanting to be trite about gifts. Gifts matter. If Jesse didn't have the gift of playing drums, he wouldn't be up here. If Seth didn't have the gift to do what he did, and Bonnie and Zach and David and, the, and so on, and all of you in the areas that you are gifted at. But all of us are also called to do things that are monotonous that we don't feel gifted at. So let the Holy Spirit do his work, and if you feel prompting, that might be a calling and an opportunity for you to grow in discipleship and maturity in Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 So back to the church proper here. The church is... A complicated thing in this hour. The church recently, over the last five to seven, I mean much longer, but really intensely and acutely over the five seven to seven last few years, I feel has lost a substantial amount of credibility. Mm -hmm. And just two years ago, we were 
in the beginning stages of a global pandemic, and we were all faced with this question. Do you remember the question of these words had never been more famous? Essential and non-essential. You remember those days where we're being, we're being faced with questions of what is essential or non-essential with everything? Courthouses, oh yeah, courthouses are essential. Uh, grocery stores, well yeah, quite obviously they're essential. And then there are the questions around the church. What is essential? What is non-essential? And before I dive into the spirit at work in the gathering, in the gathered church, this is what we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes or so, and I am realizing in this moment I have far too many scriptures for you, so we're not going to turn to them all. But I want to acknowledge right off the bat a couple of pastoral acknowledgments. One is, when it comes to the church, it's sensitive for a lot of people because they have very real woundings and real trauma. And I don't want to gloss over this and try and convince you. Well, I'm not trying to convince you of anything this morning, actually. I want to proclaim the scriptures and the gospel and let the spirit do the spirit's work. But I do want to say, I, I feel that it's really important to gather with the church. But I also know that for a number of people, that's problematic. It's difficult. It's difficult because of internal wounds, spiritual abuse. Uh, the list goes on. And, and if you're someone who is internally rolling your eyes... I would, I would want to encourage you to not roll your eyes and to learn to look around and listen to people who have stories to tell. So I want to acknowledge that right off the bat, that for those people, we have grace. And we want to be an alternative kind of people who are safe, where the Lord can draw people to this space to find healing. I also recognize that when we talk about church as quote-unquote essential, that there are people because of physical and mental limitations who can't gather with us. I mean, think about people in nursing homes, people in long-term care. There are people all around who, if we speak with too much dogmatism about attending church services, they're left out, and it's not because of their own desire. It's because of ability and capability. So right off the bat, there is a need for grace and sensitivity when we talk about the church. The gathering should be one of the greatest witnesses of the kingdom of God to society. But often it's not. And why is that? Well, I have, it, there are probably dozens of reasons. I came up with three right off the bat. Three reasons and then three of the messages that people have internalized because of these. One is, as I mentioned, the church has lost a measure of public credibility. That's undeniable. And one of the messages that people internalize, therefore, the church is a hindrance to following Jesus. This is one of the messages. Believers and non-believers. Some would even say that the church is corrupt because of all of the scandals from the Catholic Church to the Evangelical Church to the Charismatic Church, from sexual stuff to money stuff, it doesn't, from power abuse stuff, it's, it's all over the place. And these are things for us to identify, to repent of, and to work to create systems to avoid these things being able to happen. The second one, the first is the church has lost a measure of public credibility. The second reason that the church is often not the greatest witness in society is because now that we have greater access to resources than ever before, and we live in a culture of individualism and consumerism, we've come to believe we can engineer our own spiritual growth and development. 
Therefore, the message is, the church is unnecessary for my personal growth. The third is, and this one I think hits closest to home in our kind of stream of the church, is there's been increased teaching on empowerment of the priesthood of all believers. Now, I want to say before I get to the end, all three of these things have a strong measure of truth in them. They're not all just fallacies. This is true. But one of the internalized messages is that the church is now an outlet for my gifts to be expressed. And all three of these things, like I said, have a measure of truth. But when you put them together, what happens is people either just do away with the church or the church is useful or helpful insofar as I feel like I am contributing in the ways that I want to contribute in the ways that I want to do things to try and bear fruit in my own life, the ways that I have designed my own personal spiritual growth plan for myself, as long as all of those things are being fulfilled, then I'm a faithful churchgoer. But the minute that they're not, then I am not. And you can see how this is problematic. So I want to talk today about why it's important to gather and what should be happening. Okay, so... Pastor Jade, the last few weeks, has mentioned, uh, I believe in the, in the kids' address at the beginning, about encounter formation and mission. And last week, he said, when you become a Christian, you signed up to grow up. So I want to ask the question, how does this primarily happen? Well, of course, first and foremost, by the power of the Spirit. And then I want to add a phrase, through the church. Now, not exclusively through the church. That's not the only way and the only place that we grow and the only place that we come into maturity and grow up. But until just a few decades ago, it would have been the primary answer by believers everywhere across all time and space. Just in the last few decades, there would have been all these other ways that we would have spoken about podcasts and the list goes on and on and on. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to list those things. But the church is one of the primary ways in which we come up into maturity. And we have designed and believe that our services and pretty much all that we do should have these three objectives of encounter, formation, and mission. And I want to spend the remaining 15 to 20 minutes here talking about these three things, that our gatherings should reflect all three. And the church at large would mostly agree with that. I think if there were priests in here from the Orthodox, the Catholic, evangelical churches, Mennonite churches, whatever, you fill in the blank, Presbyterian, Methodist, the list goes on. I think that they would all, in theory, agree. The difference is that we would all place the emphasis on different syllables, right? And here, what we want to do is to live in a dynamic tension where we are encountering God and his people. We are also being formed into the image of Jesus Christ as a community and as individuals. And we are also partnering with God on the mission to which we have been called as a people. And we want all three of those things to be right in front of us all the time. We're human beings. There's no way it's going to happen perfectly. There are people right now, you right now, listening to me that are going, well, we don't have near enough encounter in this place. And there are others of you going, well, I just wish we'd have a little more liturgy. And there are others of you going, well, I just wish we would actually care about the lost a little more. And I'm, I'm, of course, caricaturing it. But on some level, to different varying degrees, all 
of us have these preferences toward one or the other. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about what these things actually look like in our services and then how we can learn to embody them and pursue them in more wholesome ways. Amen? You guys with me? All right. So I'm going to fly through some stuff. And for the sake of Drew on visuals, I'm going to just go, hey, we've got this and we're not going to look at it. Okay? So we are gathered to encounter God and his people. The call to worship, you might notice that most of the time our call to worship includes a line something like this. We believe that the Spirit has drawn us and gathered us as the people of God. That's not a throwaway line. It's a strategic line. For most of my life, what I remember in church is a generic welcome about, guys, thanks so much. We're honored that you joined us today. What is the difference? One of them highlights and emphasizes that God himself has extended an invitation and done the first work that God is drawing and wooing and working on our hearts. That yes, our own volition is involved, but it doesn't start with our volition to go, well, I'm just going to go to church. You may think that and feel that, but only because the spirit was first at work. So we come into this space knowing, trusting, and believing that God was here first. Guys, let me give you a secret. God never left. Last week on Sunday... We all left, including the pastors. Guys, we don't sleep here. We go home. But God never left. We gather to encounter with God. This is one of the things that made Israel unique in Israel's history. That all of the other peoples served their gods. But Israel's God, Yahweh, dwelt with his people. Yahweh dwelt with his people. It started in the tent of meeting. It moved to the tabernacle, eventually to a temple. Then Jesus comes. Jesus is crucified, resurrected, and ascends, gives the Holy Spirit to the church. And now we together as a people are the temple. One of the things that is unique about the God that we serve is from day one, he has always desired to dwell with his people. So we come into this space in faith, knowing and trusting that God is here, and no matter what happens, we will meet with God. But here's the trouble with encounter. We tend to equate encounter with experience. Now listen, we showed you the children's versions of encounter, formation, and mission last week, and it said experience God. And I actually think that's really helpful for when we're talking to and about young people in the faith. I think that is a, a dynamic and robust way of speaking about it. But as we grow up and mature, you and I all know that we can encounter something, someone, and not classify it as an experience. And I think this is problematic for those of us who have Pentecostal and charismatic backgrounds, that we come and we know we're going to meet with God, we're going to encounter God, but inside there is this meter there's something that's either registering or not registering on our experience meter. And we leave and we think we didn't experience something unique today, therefore we must not have encountered God. And I'm here to say that is problematic on like a dozen different levels, okay? <laughs> that we encounter God because God has promised to never leave us. 
nor forsake us. And God has also promised from Genesis to Revelation, there are dozens of verses and dozens of stories that there is something unique about the encounter with God when we're together. There is a way in which when you are all alone out in the wilderness on the backside of Pikes Peak that God is with you, but there's a unique way that God is with you when you're in this space. And so when we encounter God, we are trusting by faith that what he says is true, even if we don't experience. And then there are those times when we come and we have an experience and we encounter God in a unique way. But those times don't happen if there isn't something in us that compels us to keep going for the four, five, six, seven, eight, 12, 15 Sundays when it doesn't happen. So my encouragement to you this morning is trust and know that God is here, that you are here by his invitation, that he is host and we are guest all together, sitting around his table, worshiping the Lord. And every once in a while, God's going to show up in a really unique way. And we are always trying to sense and discern and be sensitive to that. And when it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean he's not here. Where am I? Road to Emmaus. Luke 24. We're not going to turn there. I'm going to tell you this story. Well, I'm actually not even going to tell you much of the story. If you don't know it, read the story in Luke 24 about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But trusting that most of you have some inkling of what I'm talking about. This is a story that I think can show us the difference between experience and encounter. Jesus is walking with two disciples who are depressed that Jesus has just been crucified. Now, Jesus is resurrected and is actually on the road, walking away from Jerusalem with these two disciples, acting like he doesn't know what's going on. And the disciples are pouring out their heart. Well, how could you not know Jesus? And then this happens. Jesus, in that moment, begins from Genesis to whatever point of the Bible had been written by then, I guess Malachi, Jesus is walking through the law and the prophets, explaining it in light of himself, and yet they still didn't have a moment of revelation until Jesus left. And I think this is a picture and an image of the journey for you and I, that it is possible to be speaking with and communing directly with Jesus and still have our eyes veiled and not recognize. So be careful when you judge your experiences, because in hindsight, they recognized our hearts were burning within us. We also gather to encounter his people. Hebrews 10, this famous verse that we talk about at all of our men's breakfasts, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now here is what is fascinating. So the author of Hebrews says, don't stop meeting with one another. Two things I want to highlight. One, it seems to be, let's leave that last verse up there, Drew, if you can. It seems to be increasingly important as time goes on. Do you see that? As you see the day approaching. Now, the author of Hebrews, who we don't know exactly who is, this, we, we don't know who that is, and they don't know when this day is. All the more important that we do this as time goes on and we approach the day of the Lord's return. 
So all of these ideals about, well, now we are a priesthood of all believers. Each one of us have the spirit dwelling inside of us. Guys, yes, that is true, but it doesn't negate the importance of us meeting together. I said I had two things. I'm skipping the second one because I got really important things to say here in just a minute. So we encounter God, but we also come to encounter his people. This is why, one of the reasons why, Pastor Jade so often, if you're here in the early morning prayer time uh, when, when we're serving, or just sometimes during the message, he'll be saying, God, give us eyes to see one another. Because we're not just here as a collection of individuals, we are here as the body of Christ. There are some verses here in Ephesians that, Drew, I see that you have. We're not going to read them. But in Ephesians 4, there is a passage that talks about growing up in knowledge, becoming mature, being built up into the body. And here's what I want to say. The whole book of Ephesians is a temple theology for the church. Everything you read in the book of Ephesians is addressed Corporately, I said everything. I probably should never say everything from the pulpit. <laughs> Most everything in the book of Ephesians is directed to the body in Ephesus, which is now for all of us. And here's what I want to point out. He gives this list of things, talking about growing up into maturity and being built up. Your individual growth is for the sake of the body, not the other way around. And I think this is one of the most dangerous things of the church in 2022 is that we have looked at and examined and viewed the church as a spiritual resource for my personal spiritual growth. But the author of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, seems to think the exact opposite, that your personal character, that your, the way that you steward your money, the way that you steward your relationships and your resources, the way that you cultivate your gifts, the way that you grow up into Christ, all of those things are for the sake of the whole. Not just the hour and a half when we're here. The whole of the body of Christ. So we come to encounter God, but we also come to encounter his people. Number two, we gather to be formed in the image of the character and the character of Christ. One of my favorite Chris Green-isms that he said over the years that has stuck with me, and I think about it nearly every week, is he said this, a lot of great things can happen in moments at the altar. Amen. Amen. I agree with you, Miss Connie. Building Christian character is not one of them. A lot of great things can happen at an altar moment. Encounters, things getting broken off of us, things getting empowered into, of, into us, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the list goes on. Healing, restoration of relationships, things can happen at the altar. We fully believe in that. But your Christian character does not happen in a moment at the altar. It happens over the course of time learning to walk with Jesus and be faithful to Jesus in the scriptures and the prayers and the people of God and walking with the Lord increasingly over time builds our character and causes us to grow up. As much as we want to pray for that at a moment of the altar, that's just a shortcut. And our character doesn't happen that way. And this is why we believe that we should be gathered regularly and that spiritual formation or formative spirituality is one of the targets on the wall for us every time that we gather. Because we are trusting that over time, as we point 
each other toward Christ through teaching, through prayers, through singing of songs, through coming together in small groups, through coming to the table, that over time, all of us together are aimed toward Jesus Christ and toward his character and toward his likeness. God gave Israel specific ways to worship. This is what the entire book of Leviticus is all about. And this is what the, the book of Hebrews is a, is a variation of that in the New Testament. The church has ex- employed specific liturgies for worship. Good liturgies are an attempt to immerse us in scripture and sacrament that open us up to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. In other words, walking through the motions doing the things is not going to ensure transformation. You and I know that because, don't tell anyone, but we've all done it at seasons of our lives. But the spirit at work in those things, or said differently, those things open us up to the work of the spirit. Reading the Bible inherently will not make you a more Christ-like person. A matter of fact, I know some dogmatic Bible readers that, to my eye, don't have a whole lot of Christ-likeness. I'm going to be careful with my judgment. But what reading the scripture is supposed to do is open us up to the work of the Spirit. Prayer opens us up to the work of the Spirit. Coming in here, praying the Lord's Prayer week after week after week, you might not feel anything, but in a moment of crisis, I can tell you, after you've prayed this for five years, you'll be in a moment of crisis, and now things are inside you that the Spirit is working in and through and with, welling up to the top, and now you have language to pour out to God in the most difficult moments of your life. Liturgy is not inherently the thing that changes us. That is the work of the Spirit. But the liturgy opens us up to the work of the Spirit. I'm not going to read these verses, but in 1 Timothy 1, Paul is exhorting Timothy all about teaching, right teaching. Timothy, don't let people come in and twist and get you involved in these endless, meaningless genealogies and speculations about stuff. Why is that? Because what we believe has ramifications on our lives. Ideas have consequences. That's, a, that's one of the things Pastor Jade says all the time. Ideas have consequences, guys. It matters what we believe. Amen. There is a beautiful story in Luke 4 that, that I do want us to read. This is what, what we're going to read. We're going to actually read some scripture today, guys. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 14. Jesus returned. This is right after the testing in the wilderness. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Key word, key phrase there, power of the Spirit. Just conquered the, the, uh, the enemy's temptations in the wilderness. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now, press pause. If anyone in the history of the world has the authority, the wherewithal, to devise a plan for their own spiritual growth and mission, I think it would be Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, full of the power of the Spirit. Jesus did not need to go to the synagogue to be quote-unquote fed or given, you know, the tools for his life or whatever. 
And yet Jesus still finds it important to go and gather with the people, to hear the scriptures proclaimed over him, to be amongst the people as they pray. So then what happens? Jesus goes to, the, to Nazareth, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Notice, Jesus didn't go in as a rogue and start telling everyone off, guys, this is about me, you don't even know it. Jesus is handed a scroll. This is liturgy, guys. This is liturgy. The Jewish people, many denominations of the church, follow these liturgies, prescribed readings, prescribed prayers, and see what happens. Note what happens. So the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, he set the, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a beautiful image of the interplay of the Spirit at work in the liturgy. Jesus is full of the Spirit. He's driven first to the wilderness. He's driven back into town. And then he goes to the synagogue because that was his custom. Why would he not? Then Jesus is handed a scroll. And the Spirit is at work even in that moment leading Jesus down the scroll to find this beautiful passage that Jesus reads. The Spirit is at work in the things that you and I feel like are doing nothing. We need to be formed, and being formed doesn't just happen. It actually, actually, I take that back, it does happen. We are always being formed by something, but being formed into the image of Christ will not just happen. Third, oh, actually, I want to read this quote because it's my brother-in-law. I was reading an academic paper he wrote, and he had this beautiful quote. Liturgy invites believers to participate rather than spectate in an ancient and unfinished drama between heaven and earth. That is beautiful, y'all. And that's what's happening. We come into this space, and we're not observers. We are participants. Number three, we gather to participate with the Spirit in the mission to which we have been called. Number one, we come to encounter God and to encounter his people. Two, we come to be shaped in the image of Jesus because we know that we can't do it on our own. And if we don't do anything, we will be shaped into another image. And it will not be the image that at the end we wish we had been shaped into. And number three, we gather to participate in the mission of God to which we've been called. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2, read verses 46 and 47. Acts chapter 2, we are getting ready for a close. Just uh, for the record, that's to the right of the book of Luke, not to the, to the left where I started turning. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to read 42 to the end. Actually, I'm going to start at 46. Every day, so this is right after the day of Pentecost. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Two things, I think, happen when we gather around mission. Number one is our gatherings and liturgies 
should recenter and recalibrate us around our calling to be sent. This is the pattern that we see from Israel and all the way through the church. Gather to be sent, to be regathered, to be resent, to be regathered. And there are two temptations for us. They're pretty obvious. Do you know what they are? One, to want to be sent without ever being gathered. And the other one is to be gathered without ever wanting to be sent. And the biblical model, the New Testament model, is to be gathered, to be sent, to be gathered, to be sent. That's first. Number two, the gathering itself is a witness to what God is doing in the world. In the verses we just read, there at the end of the book of uh, Acts chapter 2, the faithfulness of their gathering actually attracted people that the Spirit was drawing. You notice what it says? They're gathering, they're fellowshipping, they're sharing things in common as a community. And what's happening? People from the outside are being drawn into that because it's so counterintuitive, it's so countercultural. Forgiveness is countercultural, y'all. Did you know that? Forgiveness, showing grace, being merciful, being benevolent and hospitable to people who don't deserve it, maybe even to people who have brought their own misfortune on themselves. Being hospitable and benevolent to those people is counterintuitive, but it is the way of Jesus. When we gather in this space, yes, we are reminded and retethered and recalibrated around Jesus and the work of the Spirit to be sent. Absolutely that happens. But our gathering in and of itself is inherently good. And it is inherently a witness to the world when we are doing it in the way that Jesus has prescribed. I'd like to invite the communion attendants and Seth to come. And I want to close as we come to the table with first a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to mute myself because I'm going to cough. This is one of the passages that I'm, I read most frequently when we come to the table, but I want to back up. And I want to read a few verses right before where Paul says, for this is what I have received. And he goes into the table liturgy. A few verses before, starting in verse 17, in the following directives, Paul says, this is him being politically correct to the church. I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Did you ever think that that was possible? For us to gather in ways that are unfaithful might actually be bringing more harm than good. But let's read on to find out why. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. It's so cute. I don't think he said it like that, actually. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead, where? Some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. What is Paul saying? What was happening the church in Corinth is that they were bringing class divisions from society into the church. The church is called to be a place where the kingdom of God reigns, first and foremost, above all. 
that in this place, there are no distinctions between black and white, rich or poor, single, married, divorced, young, old. In this place, you are not judged, placed in a hierarchy based on your gifts, your spiritual gifts, what you contribute in the tithes and offerings. In this place, each and every one of us are made in the image of God and cared for immensely by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And what Paul is addressing is they are bringing their class divisions from out there into this space. And it was defiling the witness of the church. The Spirit is at work when we do this in so many different ways, which is why when we come to the table, Pastor Jade, myself, Sudran, whoever, can continually highlight new facets of what is happening and what we're remembering and what we're anticipating and what's happening. But I want to tell you this morning that this little act of receiving juice and bread that are far better than they were two months ago (laughs) is actually a witness to who we are called to be. We are the people who are called out from out there, not to be absent out there, but to live under another kingdom out there. That we live in the kingdom where there are no class distinctions, where Christ leaves the 99 to go after the one. And this church, New Life Midtown, New Life as a whole, is going to be, is committed to being the kind of people that uphold that as much as we can in everything we do because we are called to be faithful to the mission of God. Let us stand together. This is the Lord's table. The Lord invites you. I am just a spokesperson in this moment. If you would today enter out the left-hand side of your rows, come forward and receive the elements. They will speak over you, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for you, and then bring them back to your seats and we will partake together. Some of you guys want to go right here to Marty and Mary.
Church, today I felt something with you. I don't always every week. It's me, it's not you, it's me. But I've truly sensed and felt the weightiness of the Spirit in this gathering today from the opening call to worship to the end. And I want you to know that it is good to be together. And it is good to be with one another. And there is no shame or condemnation when you cannot. This is in no way about that. But when you are here, you are valued, not just by us, but by Christ through us. We value you because Christ does. So, in this spirit, for I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, let us receive the body of Christ broken for us. In the same way, after supper, took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me church let us receive the blood of Christ shed for you and me thanks be to God for these good gifts Amen. Well, let us sing and close our service with the doxology remembering that every good gift comes from our father praise God from hear me? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And before I, before I call you up and invite you to receive ministry by our altar ministers, and before we send you out, I would like for you just to stretch forth your hand towards Jonathan. Uh, he's actually going to be taking off along with the family right after second service for some well-deserved time off this week. He'll also be flying to Florida for the funeral. And then right after that, he'll be missing next Sunday because he's going to be going to Macedonia along with an engagement team from New Life here. Yeah. So what we want to do is just uh, as a commissioning body, we want to send him out, pray for him and the rest of the team. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this good gift that you have given to this house and to this family. And Father, we pray right now for the comfort and the grace of the Holy Spirit to be strong upon Jonathan. Lord, losing two grandfathers in the span of two weeks, it's a lot. And we ask, oh God, that as he goes, that the nearness, that the comfort, that the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be abundant. Lord, I pray that as he is in these spaces next week with family, Lord, that you would grace him to weep together, to laugh, to reminisce, to remember, Lord, to speak. Uh, when he is called upon to speak and Lord to be silent and present when he is called upon to do that and Father we send him along with the entire team to Macedonia and Romania 
Lord, we pray that this team would be faithful to the work that you are doing in this part of the world. And Father, when they stand in front of churches, when they equip other worship ministers, leaders, pastors, and team members, God, that their, their time would be well, well utilized. Lord, that their ministry would be on target, both in the intangibles as well as in the tangible ministry of speaking and teaching and leading. And Father, we pray, God, that you would send him under the anointing and commission of the Holy Spirit by this church and that you would bring this entire team back safely and full of good health with good deposits that they have received from the church in Macedonia and Romania to come and share with this family. And we pray it in the name of Christ Jesus, the Son. Amen. Friends, I'd like to, yeah, you can clap your hands. It's good. Thank you, Jonathan, for your faithful ministry. And I would like to.